Welcome home, church family. So glad you guys are all with us this morning as we continue our series through the book of Acts. So just a quick reminder, if you haven't already or if you want us to partake, we got plenty of these, which are little um, scripture journals going through the book of Acts. And so just a place for you to take notes as we're going through this book this time. And so if you want to grab one of those, they're out in the lobby, $5 or not, um, we have them, so they're yours to be used. Um, just a, just if you're a note taker, it's a great thing. Uh, we're going to dive into the book of Acts again this morning, as we have been since the new year. And we'll be in uh, Acts chapter 4, the end of that chapter here in a bit. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Therefore, I thank you so much for this time that we can gather as your church. That we can gather as this church family and praise your holy name together. That we can care for one another and love one another here and outside of these walls, but that we can come before you as your people and open up your word and know you and see how you've worked throughout history. See how you've brought the early church about and how we can learn from that and, and be moved by that to follow you all the more every single day. So Lord, I pray for this time as we open up your word that you show us what we need to see, that you teach us what we need to be taught, that you bring your scripture alive, alive in our minds and our hearts so that we can be yours all the time. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. First responders. There's those men and women that we admire. They're on the front lines for our safety. We are really aware of them now during our present situation, and we admire them. We rightly honor them. We, these are our police officers, our firefighters, our EMTs, other medical professionals, and other people who, who are there first on the scene. They help uh, you know, address the situation. They can save lives, and we admire them because they make maybe small problems not be bigger than they probably could be. And they're trained to address these situations because first responses are important. How we first address something or respond to something is important because it can, get, it can stop small things from being bigger. It can save lives. And there are other important first responders that we need to be aware of in our own lives. Our first responses we have to situations. What are the first responses that we have that maybe can address a situation before it can get worse or help save our own life or how we live? We need to train these first responses in our lives. That when trouble hits or when hardship comes or when we are feeling anxious or when, when life does not go how we want it to go, what is our first response? When we see someone hurting, when we see our family and loved ones in pain, what is our first response? When confusion is reigning all too often in this life, when life is basically life, what is our first response to that? And have we trained those first responses. I have to admit, my knee-jerk reactions are not good. I get frustrated, and my first reaction is to get snippy, get frustrated, start taking it out mostly on my loved ones. It's not good. And most likely, we can relate that our first responses or our, our, our knee-jerk reactions might not be that great. So we need to train those first responses. And what are one of the big things we need to train into our life as a first response to life? It's prayer. That we need to train into our life that when hardship hits, when we're going through things we don't understand, when, 
when life is confusing, we should train into our life that our first response is prayer. But this strikes us as counterintuitive. Because so often prayer feels like we're not doing anything. If you're like me, we like to actually do something. We want to jump in and we want to fix some situation. And it seems so counterintuitive that instead of trying to address the problem, we actually take a step back and we pray. But we do that because we realize there's so many situations that we actually cannot fix. But we trust that our God is powerful and mighty and he can address any situation. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he said this. He said, I have so much to do that I will spend the first three hours in prayer. This was a man who understood that it's not just by his own effort that God's kingdom or what he needs to do is going to expand, but that he relies on the power that only can come through prayer. But again, that seems counterintuitive. And even in our society today, people kind of mock that our response should be, we're praying for you, and they might say that's just an excuse not to do anything. We should never let it be an excuse not to address situations that we can address. But sometimes we can't address big issues, but we can take them to God in prayer and trust that he is in control. Because God uses our prayers in great and mighty ways, not only to expand his kingdom, but to address issues in our lives. And prayer does not just address situations, but actually addresses us and changes who we are as we're reminded of our God and his power and his love and his care for us. So we need to train into our life this first response of prayer. And that is what we see in the book of Acts in chapter 4. We see the church faced with a situation, and what is their first response is to go to the Lord in prayer. So you have your Bibles. You can open up to Acts chapter 4. And we'll be starting in verse 23. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry. It's going to be on the screen as we read this together. And so to put this into context, if you remember last week we just talked about how Peter and John were hauled before the council and they were charged not to preach in Jesus' name. And they said, hey, we're going to do that because that's what God has told us to do. And so they released them. And this is where the story picks up. It says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said to the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of, peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and the signs and wonders are performed through the name of your servant, your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place they were, in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all, all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him were his own, but they had everything in common. 
And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and the great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. This, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of, of, of <coughs> Cyprus, sold, the, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. We see this account of acts of these people being bold in prayer, and it changes actually their community. And so what do we pull from this? Deep prayer leads to deep community. That's what we see in Acts, that these people had prayer. And it wasn't just a, a casual prayer. It was a deep prayer as they focused not only on who God was, but actually they prayed for the vital things of the kingdom. It was a deeper prayer than maybe some people in our day and age are used to. It was rooted in God's truth. It was rooted in God's plan. And this prayer changed their community. For this deep prayer actually changed how they operated as a church. And so we could say deep prayer leads to deep community. And that's how this passage starts. It starts with prayer. We see Peter and John, they're at least by the council, they had many threats put against them not to preach Jesus' name. And so they went and they told their friends, they told the church, hey, this is what happened. And what was their first response? They prayed. Their first response was they gathered together and they had a prayer meeting. Their first response is that they lifted their voices together to their Lord in heaven. They didn't try to plot about how they could maybe go under the radar against the religious leaders' wishes. They didn't whine or complain together about the unjust treatment they had experienced. They didn't print out pamphlets to distribute and, and try to raise an, a, a, a resurrection, resurrection, Insurrection against these religious leaders. They already believed in the resurrection. That's why they were doing this. <laughs> they didn't post their social media accounts about what they experienced and try to get people on their side. No, what did they do? They gathered together and they prayed. They lifted their voices to their Lord. They prayed together. This is a corporate prayer recorded for our benefit. They gathered together and they prayed together and they lifted their voices together. They were in each other's lives and they, they were expressing to the Lord what they were going through as they brought this, this issue to the attention of their God. Which makes me ask the question, how often did we do this? Some of you might be really good at having that first response of praying when times get tough. Some might even be really good about calling your friends and saying, hey, please pray for me. I'm going through some hard times. But how good are we as a community of the faith that when life gets tough or we know a circumstance that's going on, do we gather together and lift our voices together to our Lord, knowing that he is in charge, knowing that he is in control of what's going on, knowing that as we gather together, we're going to be taking care of each other, that we need to be people of they were people of prayer because they knew who they were praying to. That when they started praying, it wasn't just to a vague notion of who God was. It wasn't just to someone they kind of knew. They addressed and they knew who this God was they were praying to. And so they knew this God was a sovereign Lord who was in control. 
Notice how they address God at the beginning when they start praying. They say, Sovereign Lord. Lord is a, is a, is a word that's used throughout the Bible from the Old Testament and the New Testament to, to talk about who God is. But in this circumstance, it's actually not that word. Kurios is, is a Greek term for Lord, or is Adonai in the Hebrew, but here we actually have a different term that is translated as sovereign Lord, and it's despata, which is interesting because that is actually where we get our English word of despot, a dictator. Doesn't sound that pleasant, though. But these disciples, these people who knew God, say, Sovereign Lord, you are in control. You are the ruler of this universe. And so they pray to him knowing that he could respond. They prayed knowing not only his love, but they prayed knowing his power, that when they prayed it would not fall on, on deaf ears, but it fell on ears who were able to respond and address this, this situation. And they prayed that this God, and they phrased him as a God of creation. He is sovereign Lord because he made it all. That was their starting point. He says, this God, you who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that filled them, you are the creator God, the God of creation. So we know that when we pray for, to you, you are sovereign Lord who can address this situation. God is the creator God. It's the same thought used by Paul in the epistle to the Romans when he says, everyone should know this one basic fact about God, that when you look upon the night sky, when you look at this wonderful world he created, you see the fingerprints of a God of power who made it all. Now we can know he is the creator. And a creator has the right, the power, the ability to address what he has created. He's sovereign over it. I like to consider myself an uh, amateur craftsman. I like to build things out of wood and, and stuff like that. And I built some furniture in my time. And, and sometimes it doesn't go that well, but I have power over this piece of furniture I make. But sometimes not as the greatest power, but I have that power. Just recently, something I made, a board sprung loose because it was warped when I made it. And my wife was like, oh, you can just replace that. I'm like, no, it is my piece of furniture. It will submit to me. And so I got the clamps and I got the glue and I made it submit. Now I'm not going to take those clamps off anytime soon, but it submitted to me. That's an imperfect person, creator over power over this. But now we talk about the sovereign God over what he's made and he has power and authority and rule over it. If you've ever been a parent who says something like this to your kid, I brought you into this world, I can take you out of it. You're expressing that simple fact that you know that creators have the right and the power over what they made. And this is the God they're worshiping, the creator God, the sovereign Lord. But he's not just sovereign. He's not just powerful because he created. He actually is also the God of revelation. For how do they know him and how they know what's happening is under his power? Because he spoke from their father, David, by the Holy Spirit hundreds of years before this. That in this prayer, we see how the, the, the followers of Christ, they quote Psalm 2, written by David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, about what is happening, about how the nations rage in vain, and how 
these rulers will plot against the Lord's anointed. That they bring to mind with each other this messianic psalm talking about how the people, the rulers of the world, will not go quietly, but they'll fight against God's anointed. And so they, they look at this and say, God, you knew this was going to happen. Not only did you know this was going to happen, but you planned for this to happen. Not only did you plan for this to happen, but you ordained this would happen and you spoke this, this was going to happen in a psalm that we would sing and worship together. And so they reflected on this is our God of revelation, that he speaks this truth. And they looked around that what just happened in their life, what, what had just happened with Jesus, what, they, what just happened with Peter and John, and they see the truth of God's word coming true. They just reflect back on a couple months ago about how Jesus was crucified, tried before Herod and Pontius Pilate, and how the nations were raging against the Lord's anointed, and they knew God's word was coming They knew that God's word was being fulfilled. That God had not only predicted this, but planned for this to be woven into his redemption story about how his son was going to save his people. Which closely relates to another aspect of the the sovereign Lord they're praying to, that this is the God of history. For these events that they mention about how Uh, Jesus was tried before Herod and Pontius Pilate. These recent events that they had just lived through, they, they expressly say that this was under God's control, that they only did what God's plan had them doing, that they firmly are convinced that God was in control of what happened with Herod and Pontius Pilate, that God's will had predestined them to do this that they truly realized that God was the God of history because it truly is his story, if you forgive the dad joke there. He's in control of it. His plans determine what's going to happen, that even where Herod and Pontius Pilate were working out of their own inclination to oppose Jesus, it was all woven into his plan, and he was still in control, which should give us such reassurance today. As we look around at what history is happening right now in our day and age, how it seems like things are going maybe a little crazier than we want them to go. How we can look to the political situation, or we can look at the ongoing pandemic, or we can look at all the concerns that are happening, and and even just the big freeze we just experienced, and what other parts of the country experienced even worse than us, and we can ask, what is going on? And all of these things are in God's control, for he is the sovereign Lord, the God of history. This is the God they prayed to, the God of creation the God of Revelation, the God of history. They firmly knew this God was God, the sovereign Lord, who had the power to respond. If you think about it, no other God is even worthwhile praying to. For what good would it be to pray to a God who could not respond in a meaningful way? What good would it be to pray to a God who didn't have the power to intercede and to change our situations and address what's going on in our lives? 
and they firmly knew who God was, and they knew this God, and they prayed to him, and we see how it changed them. Deep prayer leads to deep community. And we can look at what they prayed for, that what was on their heart, they prayed for boldness in the face of the threats. When I was reading and studying this week, this struck me because so many things they could pray when they hear about Peter and John being threatened not to preach Christ. They could have prayed that the religious leaders would be silenced, or they, they could have prayed that, the, that different religious leaders would come into place, or they could, they could pray for the more comfort for themselves or more ease of spreading the gospel. But no, what did they pray for? Boldness. They prayed that they would be boldness in the face of threats, that they knew what was important, what was dear to them, and that is spreading the gospel of Christ. And so they said, God, make us bold. When we face these threats, when we face danger, let us not shrink away, let us not be scared, but make us bold. They prayed for what was important to them, that the gospel would be spread. They prayed not so much that their circumstances would be changed, but they prayed for themselves to be changed so that God could work in those circumstances. They didn't pray that they wouldn't face threats, but they said, when threats come, please, God, make me bold so that your word may be spread. They prayed for boldness in speaking the word, and they prayed for boldness as these signs and wonders were happening. And so what they were praying for was they were praying for ministry, the gospel to be spreading. We see that they, they pray for being able to speak the word with boldness and they pray for the healings, the signs, and the wonders to be happening. And these two things go together. We always see the word and these miracles go together. We see that in the Gospels and we see in the book of Acts that people would speak God's word with boldness and there would be signs that would accompany them to vindicate and to authenticate that this was truly from God. And so what they were praying for was that the gospel would spread. They were praying for that we could speak with boldness and that you could do your work, this powerfulness that would convince people of this truth and that you would change hearts and that, you're, that people would receive what we have to say with open hearts and respond to the gospel. They were praying for the spread of the truth of Jesus Christ. That these prayers of this early church showed what was in their hearts and minds that what they were concerned with, and they were concerned with the truth of Jesus spreading to everyone they knew and beyond. Which brings to mind that we can ask ourselves, what do our prayers show? If we were to take a look at our prayers, what are we concerned now, I would never say that we have to pray only what they prayed right here because we have so many examples of different types of prayers and we're told through Scripture that if anything weighs on us, if we have anxiety about anything, we're supposed to bring it to God. And so that's all appropriate to pray, but it should make us wonder and check ourselves and say, what do our prayers show about our hearts? And what do we care about? And we should, somewhere in there, should be prayers for God's gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ to be expanding through us, through others, through this church, through other churches as the word is preached. That we should be praying these deep prayers based on who God is, knowing he is in control. 
do that, we are changed. I love how this little passage ends right here before it talks about this new community. It ends with these kind of aftershocks of Pentecost. Because if you remember at Pentecost, they, they, were, they were praying together, and the Holy Spirit descends, and it was a loud wind that, rust, that moved the whole building. And they started declaring the word of God in these different languages. And so we see these aftershocks of Pentecost because the place they were praying in was shaken. And they started proclaiming the word with more boldness. And so we see the same thing as happened after Pentecost happened here as they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to, pr- to proclaim God's word to everyone who would hear. And this aftershock of Pentecost changed this community, deepened this community. Deep prayer leads to deep community. In that next little section at the end of chapter 4, we see how this community was changed. It says, those who believed were of one heart and soul. We see that there was unity within this church. They're of one heart and one soul. This was not a veneer of unity. This was not the happy face so often we can plaster on our faces when we go to church or when we're at small group or when we're passing someone in the supermarket, this was a deep community, a unity that cared for each other. They took care of each other. They loved each other. They were of one heart and soul. They were united by their faith. They saw each other as a family. Not only that, but it says, with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That there was great power happening within this community. What was this power? Is the fact that when they testified about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, people believed. This is great power. This is sinners becoming saints. This was the dead coming alive as they realized who Christ was. There is no greater power as they preached the resurrection of their Lord Jesus Christ. It says there was a great grace was upon them all. That they were experiencing great grace. Grace is that unmerited favor we have with God that is expressed through the person of Jesus Christ and that relationship we have with him. So grace is really God, a relationship we have with him, that we know he loves us not based on what we've done, but he loves us because he loves us. He loves us not because we're good enough or smart enough or people like us. No, he loves us of his own free choice, and because he loves us, we become lovable to him. And we experience that great, great grace, and we know that, and it changes us as we live as forgiven people, forgiving people. And it says there was not a needy person among them. That this unity, this power, this grace worked itself out by taking care of each other. That when they looked upon their family of faith, they could not stand that someone would be without that they would take care of each other so much to the extent that they would sell their property to make sure everyone had what they needed. This was a deep community that loved each other, who stood firmly in God's truth. It's a unity, and it's a, it's a, it's a community that we should be experiencing as Christians as a community of faith, that when you look at this, it's not just pie in the sky. It's not just, oh man, I hope maybe I can find a community like that someday. No, this is what the church is supposed to be. Not mandated from above, from from someone else on us, but from a response of our own hearts of what God has done for us, we respond in these ways. 
that we seek to have unity, that when you look upon each other, we see family. You might look different than me. You might think differently from me. But because you believe in who Jesus is, you're my brother and sister. We have unity based off that. That we should actually see great power happening within this community. That when we proclaim the truth of who Jesus Christ is, we should see people responding to the gospel. We should see people coming to know the Lord. We should see people who were once dead in their sins and trespasses now brought to life because of their faith in Jesus Christ. That we should see this great power happening. And that we should be a community based on this great grace that we all know that we have been forgiven by our God and therefore we will operate under grace to all we approach. Forgiving quickly, loving greatly, taking care of people. And we should care for one another. That we make sure people have what is needed. That we take care of them in meaningful ways. That we check up on people and make sure they're growing in their faith. And they're progressing in this community. This is all rooted in prayer. That when we pray together as a community, it changes the community. Deep prayer leads to deep community. So how about us? When we ask that question after we read this passage, as we reflect on it, how about us? How do we respond to this call or this description of the early church. Well, we already talked about many ways we need to respond, in, but we can think about it. We need to be a praying community. First and foremost, we need to be a community of faith that prays together. Whether it is on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. when people gather together before service, service to pray, whether it's in your small groups as we pray together, whether it's spontaneous meetings, when you call up your friends and your loved ones and say, hey, I need prayer, let's pray together. We need to be a community that prays together and trust God is at work which means that prayer should be our first response and when you think about what is our first response our knee-jerk reaction that we actually train into ourselves hey I'm not going to respond for my impatience hey I'm not going to respond for my frustration hey I'm not going to respond from just my anger about what's going on I'm going to actually respond with prayer that when stuff happens because stuff always happens we go to the Lord in prayer. That we pray on our own? Yes. We pray with friends? Yes. We ask them to pray for us? Yes. But then maybe we take even that more vulnerable step and say, hey, I need you. Come and pray with me. And we pray together as a community that knows God. And we know him, which means that we all should know the sovereign Lord we're praying to. That we should take efforts to remind ourselves again and again that my prayers are not falling on empty ears. My prayers are not in vain. The, 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 the nations rage in vain, but my prayers are powerful and effective. Why? Because I stand in Christ and when I am praying to God, He hears because I'm one of His through Christ. And I know that he's going to respond to me. I know he's going to act in me. And it might be just changing me and making me bolder and making me stronger to bear up under a situation. Or it might be acting in his great sovereign ways to change the situation I'm in. But I know, I, I know who God is and so I can pray with confidence. 
that I know he's the God of creation, that I know that he's a God of revelation, and I know that he's the God of history, and I keep those firmly planted in my mind and my heart as I pray, and so I can have confidence and comfort in my prayers. And that we should be praying for gospel expansion. And all the prayers we do, the, the things that are weighing on us, yes, we should be praying for those things as well, but we pray for gospel expansion. We pray that the kingdom expands. And through this church, and it preaches the word, and other churches in our community across the globe, and the missionaries we support, that the kingdom of God will expand, and people can come to know who Jesus is and love him because of that, and so be saved. That we pray for that word and boldness in our lives and in other people's lives, then we should be practicing that deep community that comes from a being of praying, having that unity, experiencing that power, passing on the great grace we have from God and caring for each other in those real ways. It's all based on knowing who God is and praying to him that he would change us and move us as he would see fit. Deep community leads to deep. Deep prayer leads to deep community. So let's be praying to our Lord. Join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word. And thank you for the fact that you hear us, that when we pray, we know it's not in vain. When we pray, we know that you respond, that you care for us, that you love for us, that you are using our prayers in ways we can't even understand to weave together your beautiful redemption plan. So, Lord, I pray that we can be a people of prayer. I pray that we can pray even when we don't feel like it, that we can pray until we do feel like it, that we can lift all of our worries up to you, but we also lift up this church, the gospel expansion of your universal church, the truth that needs to be proclaimed and people to come to know you. So Lord, I just pray that this church can be a church of prayer as we seek to know you, as we seek to honor you, as we seek to be your people in all that we do. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.